Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's time for the VolQuest podcast, where we dissect the biggest news items of the week. Well, good Tuesday, everybody, and welcome into the VolQuest podcast, VolQuest.com and VolQuest on the YouTube channel. I am Eric Kane with Brent Hubs, Rob Lewis, and Grant Ramey. Plenty to discuss here in this new week. Basketball is in full swing. The transfer portal has officially closed. Could be still a little movement there. Baseball's right around the corner. Recruiting, a junior day coming up at the end of the week. A lot to get into, but first let's start with that transfer portal. Brent, it's it's closed for now. There'll be another opening later on in the spring, but Tennessee says goodbye to 11 players. Brings in eight players as of now. How would you assess Tennessee's performance in this window of the transfer portal? Well, I mean, I think they've addressed some needs and, and found some people that they needed to, to get. They had to get a tight end. They had to get a tackle uh, offensively. Uh, they've done that. Rodney Garner wanted a defensive lineman. He he got he got that. They they picked up a defensive back. The question is, are they going to get a second DB? But where are they with Davidson Igmanosa, um, the, the young man from Rutgers, uh, or from New Jersey, who Tennessee he lost out to to Ole Miss late last year in the process? Who's in the portal? Where is he going to go? Interesting. You know, the timeline's tight. Um, Texas A and M. Their drop dead ad li- or their ad drop deadline is was Monday, but Rob Lewis, we saw Rashad Moore come to Tennessee's campus in October, so I guess anything is possible, you know, in terms of getting somebody in school at, at some point. Um, you know, A and M could be a factor there if if Partridge, um, the the former tech, the former Ole Miss coach uh, who left, ends up at A and M, as some people have speculated. Tennessee's been in conversation with Davidson. So we'll see what happens with that one moving forward. Um, If he's going to get somewhere, you know, for this spring semester. But overall, I think Tennessee um, had a solid deal. I think the the portal itself, guys, is pretty fascinating, too. And we'll get everybody's take on what Tennessee got done. But 1,345 kids went in the portal. That number almost low to me compared to what everybody was talking about, how chaotic. And I know it was wild, but – I would have ventured that number would have been closer to 16, 17, maybe even 1,800 guys. I don't know what you guys think. But, I mean, the question is going to be, does this thing settle down a little bit in the coming years? Because not all 1,345 landed somewhere, Grant. I think it has to settle down because you everybody's kind of in a filling out process on both sides of this over these first few years of, you know, the grass is not always greener. Like, you can go in the portal, but the portal is not going to get you a better landing spot just automatically because you entered the portal. It's, it's going to take the right fit. It's going to take the right whatever for some of these kids to to find some. So there's going to be a probably an overreaction to start with in the early years of the portal and all these kids jumping in. And then you get some experience with it and you can see a little bit of a track record of what the portal life is like, um, you know, moving forward when you're future kids that are looking at the portal and the possibility. So I think there's going to be an overreaction to start with. Then probably it should settle down a little bit because everybody understands the reality of the situation is, you're, you're, you can go in the portal, but that's not going to solve anything. Just because you go in there doesn't mean you're going to find the right landing spot. 
Rob, Tennessee had uh, eight players from the portal, say goodbye to 11 players, uh, pretty spread out and trying to address some needs in terms of numbers. Got a cornerback, wide receiver, defensive lineman, offensive tackle, linebacker, an offensive lineman, and Carrick, who we think might play guard, a tight end, and a kicker. Do you think Tennessee addressed some needs, and where where can Tennessee continue to push You know, after spring practice to maybe improve that roster? I mean, I think they definitely addressed some needs. Um you know, had to add tackle bodies, as as Brent mentioned, and and he got at least maybe what one and a half tackle bodies at, at least. But you know, Campbell certainly is a guy that's played a lot there. You know, always interested in a defensive lineman. I thought linebacker was big. Uh, you know, Pilly's a, a veteran dude that that's played a lot. Um, older guy, really really mature. I mean, I thought that was a place where they really needed to add somebody. I mean, you got Elijah Herring, who you're excited about, but you know, you lost a lot of production from last year's team. So, you know, I thought linebacker was big. Um, Thornton is, is really intriguing at, at wideout because of his own physical traits, but also because of what we've seen Hypel do with, with wide receivers and specifically transfer wide receivers in the last couple of years since he's been here. So you wonder if, if he won't be a plug-and-play guy, you know, just just like Jelante Payton was or just like Brew McCoy was. But I, I thought I thought a nice haul. I mean, if they wanted to add one more, I mean, I guess, you know, we're talking about the Ole Miss kids, certainly. I mean, with what we've seen, defensive back would be a spot where you wouldn't be surprised if they added somebody else there. No, it wouldn't be a surprise no. whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, just kind of with the with the ad drop date and seeing, seeing kind of how everything plays out. But I think defensive back is certainly a possibility. And then, Brent, when this thing opens back up again, if you don't land a second defensive back, maybe that's an area you go and you try to pursue. Uh, we talked about quarterback at nauseum on how you, you you might you could take one but you know who's going to want to jump in i think tennessee did well in trying to get two offensive linemen because it, it, it's such a this offense this pace this system that you know gerald mincy played a lot of snaps for tennessee this year and he wasn't great but he did a he did a decent job with jj crawford both of those guys really coming in crawford last year from the junior college ranks i think tennessee did a good job at the offensive line but continuing to look at linebacker, kind of what Rob was saying, I love the mixture of what Tennessee has in that room with those young guys. A lot of young guys that this staff really, really enjoys with those rising sophomores and Elijah Herring and, and Caleb Perry mixed in with two veterans and Aaron Beasley and Keenan Peely. We'll see if Keenan Peely is who he was in 2021 uh, prior to suffering that ACL tear. He came back, he played, he's still a contributor, and he'll play a lot for Tennessee next year. Uh, but I love that mixture in the linebacker room, and I think that was critical knowing that Juwan Mitchell was likely gone to bring in a guy like Keenan Peely. Yeah, no doubt. And I think the same can be said for the defensive back room. You know, I mean, there, there's a lot of people excited about Christian Conyer and Jordan Matthews and those young guys. And right so, I think it's easier to play corner than it is linebacker out of high school as a first-year player. But it's not a given that some guy just steps in and, and, and is the guy, right? I mean, the – we've seen that's really been terrifically effective at that just is going into the college football hall of fame and Eric Berry. I mean, I know Elante Taylor had to do it uh, reluctantly and I know Bryce Thompson did it, but they weren't dynamite players as freshmen. They got beat up a lot when they were handed a starting job when, when Hawk and Max passed out uniforms to start fall camp. So you, you want a little more competition back there. You want some veteran, you know, play back there to kind of help those guys develop and grow. And, and I, I think that's what the portal's all about. You know, I, I think that the, the storylines for the portal moving forward are going to be less about, um, less about 
who you get as much as it is, do you get some specific to fill a hole? And two, your roster main, you know, your roster retention, who do you retain? I think the biggest challenge for coaches is going to be about roster retention moving forward, as opposed to, Hey, who can we get to fill a spot? Right. And, and I think that's what you're seeing. And I think that's what you're seeing with NIL. And I think that's what you're seeing with, with the, the proactive approach that coaches are trying to go about uh, in, in mid-November to the end to this is roster retention because you got to hold the thing together. That's your biggest challenge to me. I would agree. I would agree big time. And, and great when you look at who Tennessee lost, I mean, sure, the I think we got a question Sunday night in the Rocky Top Rewind about kind of playing devil's advocate saying, well, you know, Tennessee did bring in eights and, and like what Tennessee brought in, but Tennessee lost 11. But great when you look at the roster or when you look at the list of guys that you put together over on the side of guys who left Tennessee via the portal, uh, I mean, n- none are really shocking. I mean, Tennessee didn't lose that big-time starter that you couldn't afford to lose. It's more or less, you know, guys that just kind of didn't work out at Tennessee looking for new opportunities. And so with what Brent was saying, roster retention, there were some guys who were close to to jumping in that Tennessee were able to keep out of it. I think that's going to be a huge storyline moving forward after spring and, as Brent said, for not just Tennessee but for everybody. The What you said, no shockers. I think that's the emphasis for me because you can go into this thing, what were we talking about before the portal even opened? You could go down the list and say, you're probably going to have these guys, these guys, and these guys entering the portal. And if you go down that list and if those are the guys that enter the portal, then, I, I mean, I don't think it hurts you terribly that, that much. I mean, no offense to those dudes, but they're going to find somewhere else that they can play and get on the field quicker, uh, be more productive because that's not going to happen at Tennessee. They're, they're leaving – for a reason as long as you're not surprised as long as you're not caught off guard as long as there's not a guy that enters the portal it makes you question like what's going on there because he produced uh you know a, a ton that season and then entered the portal I think it's then you have problems and I'm with Brent on the retention thing I mean this is like NFL free agency but without NFL contracts because it's like a year-to-year thing who are you going to retain who are you going to lose who are you going to add um so I think it's it's retention like Brent talked about and also you don't want to be caught off guard or surprised by who's entering the portal if it's if it's the guys you expect I think you're in a good spot you ready showtime on May 3rd summer starts with the fall guy what are you doing later let's drink a spicy margarita make some bad decisions yes Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so we will see what comes next. Tennessee closes this window, losing 11, welcoming in eight at the moment. We'll see what happens. Of course, it'll open back up at the end of spring. But, Rob, when you look at now kind of flipping this page and moving on to the next phase of the offseason, sure, you had uh, you know National Signing Day, the early National Signing Day in December. You had a bulk of those guys come in and practice during bowl season. But officially moving in over this past weekend, starting the spring semester, officially starting their tenures 
as Tennessee, you know, players and student athletes and all that. The book closes on the prep career of Nico Imaliava, who took home offensive MVP honors at the Polynesian Bowl. We saw a lot of great video from Austin Price last week. I, I, I thought that'd be fun if we kind of go around the room here. You guys have been covering Tennessee longer than I have, but we talked Nico so much. But now with his prep career officially over, Rob, has there been anybody else that's been this anticipated, I guess, you know, coming into Tennessee? Uh, for me, there definitely hasn't been. Um, I just feel like Nico's the most anticipated prospect in a long time, maybe if ever. What, what would you say on that? I mean, for my experience, which doesn't go quite back as far as the Hubbers, but class of 2002, I don't think there's anybody particularly close. I mean, I think it's the, the nature of the position, um, which has only you know, gotten more, you know, the importance I think has only gotten magnified in the last you know, 10 years. Uh, the fact that he is the, the number one overall recruit from on three, plays quarterback. I mean, I just don't think there's any – I mean, people are excited about Eric Berry, but, you know, when you talk about a defensive back versus a quarterback, there's just – you know, it, it it's apples and oranges. So, I, I would say yes, by a long shot, he's the most anticipated recruit. Brent, what would you say? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think you have to look at it in a couple of different ways. Um, one, the pos- nature of the position is there – um, obviously, number one player overall, that, that creates anticipation. The, the other thing, too, is, I mean, it's so different now than it was. I mean, this guy's been committed for a year and never wavered, been on this, what, four times, something like that, five times. I mean, he, he's, you know, he's done basically events when he's come to town. I mean, the, the, guy, the guy came to Knoxville to play in a seven-on-seven tournament. I mean, you feel like he's almost not a newcomer because he's been around so much. He just wasn't eligible to play last fall, sort of what it feels like with it. So when they got a guy like Brian Darden, okay, that, that happened. And obviously Brian didn't work out, but that happened 10 days before signing day. Right. And so it was kind of this, this, even when you got Trey Smith, Trey Smith waited till the end to decide what to do. That's an offensive lineman. He was rated very highly. Eric very, you know, committed in the fall. Uh, but no, I mean, when you talk about number one, think about it, the number one overall prospect in America has been committed to Tennessee for nearly a year. That just has, that just doesn't happen. I mean, that's, that's different. And, and that's why this one creates the anticipation. The other thing too, that creates the anticipation for me, Grant, is the fact that he's stepping into an offense that every year they step on the field, they break more and more records. Now, maybe it's the record they had, they set for themselves the previous year, but but he's walking into a system where there's no there's no reason why anybody should suggest I'm not sure he can adjust and adapt or shine in this system because this system I mean, has been Eric, so successful. When when Eric asked the question, the first name that came to my mind was Bryce Brown, and I was in college when Bryce Brown uh, signed with Tennessee in a five star right? I, yeah, I'm, Brent could tell you the backstory of that way better than I could, but. Uh, Nico, it's just – it seems exponentially bigger because it's a five-star quarterback. It's the number one overall player. It's Josh Heupel and this Tennessee staff maximizing in the NIL era uh, in a very, very new NIL era, taking advantage of this recruitment and winning it the way they did and, and just being out in front of it the way they were. And on top of that, it's this offense. Quarterback's important in any offense. You're going to go as your quarterback goes, your team is. But in Josh Heupel's offense, it just seems – magnified that much more because you have to have you have to be able to make all the throws you have to be able to make quick decisions you have to be able to read the field quickly you have to be able to 
you know, if you can use your feet, if you can have some athletic ability, if you can get out of the pocket. If you, I mean, we saw what Hendon Hooker was able to do in 24 games and how quickly that changed the outlook of Tennessee football under Josh Heupel just because of how much success they're able to find in Hooker and this offense and how much, like Brent said, the numbers that you're going to be breaking every single year. So it's not only that he's a five-star, that he's the number one overall recruit, that he's, you know, whatever. It's that he's a quarterback and he's the number one player in the country, in the country at the position, everything. And he's coming into this Josh Heupel offense, and it's so much more important there. Yeah, and two, two other guys, because people are going to ask this question, right? You know, what about Peyton Manning? Okay, here's the thing to keep in mind about Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning was a big deal. I mean, a huge deal. I mean, it's the son of Archie Manning, and Tennessee had pulled off seemingly the impossible. Now, they got a great benefit from the fact that Ole Miss was going on probation and, and Cooper could no longer play football. That, that opened up that possibility. He did a tremendous job recruiting him. There was great anticipation with Peyton Manning, but nobody had seen him play. There, there are no highlights. There, there was no YouTube to watch. There was no huddle. You couldn't stream. There was no all-star game to play in. Peyton Manning was a big deal because he was the son of the legend Archie Manning. Nobody could break down his 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 mechanics, right? There was no there was no message board to, to, to talk. I mean, you could call a talk show and talk to somebody who had seen him play down there and got their one man's opinion, but you didn't have this lively debate about it. Then you go back to Heath Schuler. Heath Schuler was a huge deal too, because that was a local guy, basically. Western North Carolina. Um, they beat out Big Bad Alabama for him. And 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 Heath Schuler was a guy that he created coverage for recruiting in Knoxville, Tennessee. Nobody was covering recruiting really till Heath Schuler. So there was great anticipation there. But again, there just wasn't as much information about him. I mean, I mean, Heath Schuler was Paul Bunyan coming out of the mountain. Nobody really knew what was true or not true, right? I mean, at one point he had played like seven high school sports. He was playing three or four at one time, it seemed like, and, you know, all of these types of things. But nobody had seen it. The thing with Nico that's different is people have seen Nico play four or five different ways, right, in a seven-on-seven tournament, an all-star game, in person at Farragut High School, whatever the case may be. That's the difference in that is there's so much information about the kids now, particularly those quarterbacks compared to the two that I just mentioned, Peyton and, and Heath. Hubs, Hubs, you should have seen Miss Atkinson's second-grade class at Miller Perry Elementary when uh, Peyton committed. We were trying to get on the landline, call the sports talk, couldn't get anything out. <laughs> I, was at, um, I was at the student radio station at um, – all news 850 at the time covering it as a student. And I got his high school coach on the phone. I felt like I had accomplished great things because that's the only one that I had seen that had come through on the wire. It made the AP wire that, I mean, that's how you knew it was a big deal back in the old days when, you know, there was again, no internet. So you're ripping and running with AP wire copy. And it came across the national sports desk that Peyton Manning had committed to the university of Tennessee. So you knew that that one was a big deal. So in that regards, some people would say Peyton Manning is, you know, maybe the bigger deal than Nico. Now he's also gone on to a Hall of Fame career, but we had never seen that come across the AP wire before. Um, and, and, you know, when in terms of a high school recruit, that was just unheard of that someone would put on the AP wire what a 17-year-old is going, where he's going to go play college. And, and that was kind of an indoctrination into the mainstream for recruiting. You know, and obviously it's progressed dramatically, you know, since then. Heath was totally different. Heath committed and didn't tell a soul anything he was doing. 
and everybody went to the mountains, not everybody, but some went to the mountains of North Carolina with no idea what he was going to do. And nobody in that town would offer up any thought process on where he was going until he announced Rob. I was just say in terms of, you know, Peyton being, you know, comparing Peyton to, to Nico, as far as anticipation, I mean, Peyton was not definitively the best quarterback in that class for, for Tennessee. I mean, not, I'm not talking about nationally. I mean, there were plenty of people who thought Brandon Stewart was you know, the better prospect long-term. I got, to, I got a lot of people thought here. Josh Booty was the better player in the state of Louisiana. No, he was number one overall in the country that year, wasn't he? I think Booty was, yeah. A lot of people didn't think Peyton, a lot of people thought Peyton was a bit of a project. I got two things. Number one, if you have Paul Bunyan on your bingo card here for this Fall Quest <laughs> podcast, good for you. Number two, Brent, you will love this. There's an AP wire in the newsroom at Cumulus Knoxville. And a couple years ago, I walked in there and I said, I have to turn to Bob Yarborough and I said, what the hell's that? Like, what is that? It's just always sitting there in the corner. No one ever uses it. It's bigger than this table. What is that? And he explained to me what it was, and I'm just like, wow. God, put put that thing in a museum, right? Yeah, thank yeah, you. Appreciate of, it. It's great. And, and speaking More of white bingo hair cards. Wonderful. <clears throat> speaking of bingo cards, if you, if you listen to this morning and, and you turned it on and realized AP wasn't here, you just threw out all your Pixar characters. Just just threw your Pixar bingo card on the ground or like, damn it. Not not this week. <laughs> but everybody right now is trying to guess who he's gone to see to record an interview with, right? But what what's where's he working at right right particular now? Um but yeah, the, the, there was there's no chance of a uh, Pixar reference in this pop. All, all the Andy Griffith characters or a golf still, reference. All the Andy Griffith characters are still very much in play though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean you you mentioned one and a half tackles earlier. I thought of Horatio, half a boy. More Horatio. Never seen one, Paul. Horatio. <laughs> totally. That's, that's exactly boy. what I was thinking. Yeah. Um I Sock one more thing head. on Nico and then and then I, I do want to talk about uh, basketball, obviously. But um, you know, Rob with with all this anticipation comes expectations, you know, and we have all offseason discuss and you know, Joey Halsey said there's gonna be a quarterback battle the the, the presumption is that Joe Milton, the Orange Bowl MVP, is going to you know be the guy next year and all that. But, I mean, there's going to be a lot of expectation for Nico, um, whether that means he you know starts as a freshman or comes in as a freshman or the minute Joe throws an interception, you know, there'll be chant Nico. How difficult do you think that's going to be to kind of manage for Tennessee fans, for the coaching staff, for, uh, you know, for Nico himself? I mean, that's going to be quite the thing next year and, and really, you know, until he is truly named the guy for Tennessee. Well, I mean, it, unless Joe Milton comes out of the gate and looks like a Heisman Trophy front runner in the first three weeks, you know, the fans are going to be clamoring. Uh, you know, the first time he, he has two or three overthrows in a game or Eric, like you've said, throws an interception, you know, that chatter is going to be there. And it's, I mean, it's got all the potential in the world to be a Trevor Lawrence, Kelly Bryant situation from Clemson several years ago where, you know, even if the team's winning, even if you're doing well, if you're not getting just, Big time play at the quarterback position. There's going to be talk. I mean, because of everything we've been talking about for the last 15 minutes, the anticipation from a an absolutely rabid fan base. It, it's going to be a huge storyline next September. Brent Tennessee basketball now two and zero on the week, coming back from an upsetting loss to uh, to, to Kentucky last Saturday. Um, Short handed lineups. Uh, Tennessee went on the road without Santiago Vescovi. 
uh, without Tyree Key and managed to you know get 40 minutes out of you know, Zakai Ziegler and, and some good play there. And then he goes on the road without you know Uros in that lineup at LSU and just handles the Tigers, who are not very good. Well, what do you think about the bounce-back effort for Tennessee basketball, who now 6-1 in SEC play? And you know there's some teams losing ahead of them over the weekend as well. Tennessee's still very much in the mix of being one of the best teams in the country. Well, I think the schedule was, has been great for Tennessee. This past week, it was terrific to help them kind of work through some things um, to overcome. They got to get this illness out of the locker room and, and and get past this, you know, moving forward. I think, and this is from a ten thousand square foot view, and not in the in the amongst the weeds like like Grant and Rob are. I think what we're gonna what's gonna ultimately come out of this past week is Rick Barnes's bench is gonna get shorter. I think it's going to get back to the Rick Barnes way of playing, you know, unless there's mass foul trouble, Rob, I, I think this is going to play 10 and he's comfortable playing 10. I think that's going to start whittling itself down as we move into to February and, and start thinking about towards tournament play. I could be wrong, but I think he's got a greater comfort level with a smaller bench. And I think you may be starting to see a little bit of that happening. Well, I, I think the biggest thing coming out of last week was what we saw at LSU with Josiah in the starting lineup at the four and, you know, Olivier at the five. I, I think, you know, I think the phrase a team's identity is somewhat, you know, overused sometimes. But I think that because of Josiah being on the shelf, misses so much time, we've not truly seen what Tennessee's team's identity is, you know, for the first you know, two, two and a half months of the season. And I think you got to, you kind of got a glimpse of it on, on Saturday. I think of how Rick really wants to play. Um, and, and I, you know, for, for rolling it out the first time, for only having practiced, you know, practiced with that lineup for, you know, a few days, I, I thought it, I, I thought it looked, you know, potentially really dangerous uh, offensively. You don't give up a lot defensively, and frankly, I don't. You may not be able to call it a small ball lineup, but I, I like the thought of playing Jonas at the five with, with Josiah at the four. But but the biggest thing for me is having Josiah back, just unlocks so much flexibility for Rick to to play you know, combinations that, that we haven't seen before. And, um, I mean, I think you're going to – I think that's going to be the predominant look going forward. Grant, what was your biggest takeaway? Was it was it the short bench? Was it was it that new look lineup kind of kind of going off what Rob said? I think with Josiah, it's, it's not just that he's back, but, like, he played 34 minutes at Mississippi State, and then he said he had fresh legs and energy in practice on Thursday and Friday, and then he played another 31 minutes. At LSU, he's not only like back; he's like fully back with no limitations and, and playing well. I think he had like thirty-five and eleven or twelve or something over those two games, and steals and assists and, and other stuff like that. So it's it's yeah, I do think they shrink the rotation, or they should, based on what we've seen the last week. Whatever they've been doing uh, while they've been trying to make up for these this illness and injury and all this stuff this last week, I think you keep doing it. Um, I think you roll with that small ball, and no LSU and. Mississippi State, they're bad teams, but, you know, Temple's a bad team, and they beat Houston in Houston on Sunday. And, you know, Kansas is a good basketball team. They got blown out at home by a good TCU team. They lost by 23 uh, on Saturday. I mean, Xavier lost after they moved up to number eight. Uh, there's a lot of teams losing in this college basketball season uh, at the top of the rankings. It's just a – I mean, Tennessee's projected as a number one seed right now by some people. I think that speaks to kind of what this field as a whole, what the landscape looks like right now. So – it doesn't matter who Tennessee's beating or playing or whatever. You play who's ever on the schedule. Uh, a win's a win, and, and if you're making, you know, good strides forward, uh, it's all the better. Why is why is the parity in college basketball what, what it is this year? I mean, it 
feel like there's the the, the one or two and, and Rob jump in here too the, the one or two three dominant teams like 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 there's kind of no clear cut right now normally when you get towards February you got a pretty good track of who three of your four number one seeds are going to be right and and you know the, the odds makers are starting to lay out who the favorite is to win it, it doesn't feel that way is is that just my imagination is that you know, everybody's picking everybody apart. Is there that much parity? What? Why does this season feel like there's not a quote dominant team or two out there? I mean, I would think because there's not a ton of superstars out there. I mean, Duke's starting over after Coach K retired. North Carolina's kind of come back down to earth after making that run to the title game. Kansas is going to be fine. They're a really good basketball team. They got good players. But like Brandon Miller, it seems like right now is maybe the best player in the country. The guy that's made the most headlines. And he's playing for one of the best teams in the country that's that's playing as well as anybody, probably better than anybody in the country right now. Uh, but Gonzaga's pretty average. You know, Drew Timmy's a really good basketball player, but they haven't been a really good basketball team. They lost at home last week. Uh, I can't even remember who beat them. Uh, Loyola Marymount, I think it was. Uh, they snapped like an 86-game home winter. I think there's not a ton of just superstars in those elite blue blood programs that you think of. You know, UCLA's good, but really I can't, I can't tell you who's the best player on the UCLA roster right now. I think it's – a little bit of a lack of superstardom, and it's just also just hard to win night in and night out in college basketball, home or away, to avoid letdowns, to play well every single night, uh, to go on the road, to deal with road atmosphere, stuff like that. It's tough to win on the road in, in that sport, and I think it's just a, a lack of uh, maybe star power. Rob, anything to add to that about the about the parity in college basketball this season, what we've seen so far with still a couple weeks to go? I don't have anything to add other than I'll just you know agree with with, with Brent or with Brent and Grant that it's wide open. I mean, I you know I think Purdue. A lot of people maybe thought they were a, a cut above, but you know I think that's proven to be. I mean, they're they're a really good team, but I don't I don't think that they have separated themselves from the field. And um, you know, just it's it's as wide open as I can ever remember it. I mean, it's not there's not one of those. You know, think back to the past ten years. It's not a you know, there's not a Villanova where you're talking about a you know, veteran laden team. It's got some youth sprinkled in, or you know one of those Gonzaga teams that everybody thought was going to win it all. It's it you know I not knock on wood for Tennessee's sake, but it's it, it should be as wide open an NCAA tournament as as there has been in recent memory. And I mean, so much thing, so much goes into you know how you're playing in March in the conference tournament and the matchups individually and team matchups, the way the ball bounces and all that. I mean, that's that's tournament basketball. But, Grant, given the way this team does play, def- defensive first, and, and the way that it shot the ball points and times this season, and the way you're developing depth and, and that rotation and identity, as Rob pointed out, kind of getting finalized – or not finalized, kind of getting a, more of a clear picture this this past week. I mean, Tennessee's built to – you know, given where college basketball is this season, to, to make that type of run, it's just a manage. It's just a matter of actually doing it because there's not been much success in that realm over the past couple of years. Yeah, and I like that it starts on defense. I, I would much rather be elite defensively and, and trying to play well offensively, night in and night out, as opposed to hoping you score 85 because you're probably going to give up 80. Um, I think I would rather be on that side of it where Tennessee's a, as performs as well as they do consistently as they do it on the defensive end. So. I, that's the I think that's the best thing for them moving forward is you know what you're going to get defensively night in and night out, and it just it's just a matter of what offense shows up and, and what it looks like if it's if it's what it looks like against LSU. Not only did they score so well and play so well at LSU, they only turned it over eight times, the lowest number of the season, and and they rebounded well. And it seemed like everything went well. It's just a matter of how how many times is that going to happen 
consistently? How much is the offense going to match what the defense does? I think they're taking steps in the right direction, and they got a lot of time to figure out, and they got a lot of tough games left to do. Looking ahead to this week, you got Georgia, then you have the big SEC Big 12 showdown or a challenge, excuse me, that's coming up on Saturday against Texas. I know a lot of fans are really, really looking forward to that. Might be overlooking Georgia to a sense, but Rob, what does Tennessee have in store with the Bulldogs and the Longhorns this week coming up? Georgia is still probably somewhat of a surprise, but had they taken care of business at home against Vanderbilt, they would be right there with Texas A&M as one of the you know good feel-good stories of, of conference play. They'd be a, they had a chance to get the four and two in Mike Weiss' first year. You know, didn't get it done and kind of a head scratching loss to Vanderbilt at home. But um, they they've been solid. I mean, I I, I look for Tennessee to win that game. Uh, I don't think I think Georgia will have a really hard time scoring um, against Tennessee. But they'll you know if if the first six games at SEC play are any indication, they'll come in and they'll they'll be a tough out. I mean, they they led for a lot of that game and Rupp. Um, last week before Kentucky kind of, you know, put some stuff together and pulled away in the second half. And um, with Texas, I mean, I don't, I don't want to pump the, the hype machine up too hard, but it, it's a big, if you're talking about seeding, it's a big deal for Tennessee um, because you really, the home game against Alabama next month is going to be your only chance to really get a, a hang your hat on it when in conference play because the SEC has been so down at the top from what we expected, but you know, thanks to Kentucky and Arkansas, um, so Texas should be, I, I would imagine, be a top five team when they come in here with this, this week. Once the um, the polls get released this afternoon, um, we were talking about getting a win to put on your resume. That's that's going to be a big one. It's going to be a really big opportunity for Tennessee. So if they do have designs on on a one seed, um, that that Texas game is going to be important, and it should be a great atmosphere. You know, you got game day. Students are back on campus finally after what seems like a year. Um, so it should be a fantastic atmosphere, and it's you know it's a big big chance for, for Tennessee to get one that matters. Brent, yeah, it's and, an interesting change for basketball this week. It's an interesting change for basketball this week because they've gone six or seven weeks without mass without school. You know, I mean they're playing a, a better than a third of their season without having to go to the classroom, which the coaches love, and I think the players probably like it as well. So this week changes because you're you know now all of a sudden you have to manage a schedule, right? I mean you you can't dictate you know you can't practice in the morning if you want to or late in the afternoon. I mean you've got to get back into a very stringent routine and, and that type of thing. So um, that that'll be a bit of an adjustment for for you know all sports, but certainly for basketball this week and um, you know just not, something else on, on the plate this week to get ready for a big weekend of basketball. Grand Rob, I got. I do have one more question uh, revolving two players, and, and kind of you know as we as we wrap up this VolQuest podcast, um, you saw Zakai go back into the starting five. Um, you know, the, try that experiment at the beginning of the season, and I know the starting five really doesn't matter. It's about the final five, if you will. But uh, didn't go well. Came off the bench, was thriving, was forced back in the starting lineup this past se- this past week, and did really well. Uh, Tyree Key missed the game, came back, came off the bench. You know, scored ten points, had seven rebounds. Those two guys, those roles, um, do, you, do you, Grant, do you continue seeing those guys stay in kind of where they are now with Zakai in the starting five and Tyree Key coming off the bench, or do you think there's still some some, some wiggle room there to kind of figure that out in the, in the next couple of weeks? 
I wouldn't even consider changing back. I think Zakai getting back to the starting point guard is, is what needs to happen. I think the best thing that could have happened for them is having no other options at Mississippi State and him having to play 40 minutes and him having to stay on the floor and figure it out after he was so bad for the first 10, 12 minutes of that game. I think that's a, a big development, not only for what he did at Mississippi State the rest of that game, for what he did at LSU, uh, the way he kind of built on that. And I think for Tyreek, the same thing. If he's going to come off the bench, if he can give you eight, ten points, if he can give you six, seven rebounds, don't even think about bringing him back in the starting lineup. Let him stay there. Uh, let him sit on the bench for a couple of minutes, read the game a little bit, get a, get a feel for it, and then come in and, and pick his spot. If, if both of those guys stay in those roles and continue to produce, don't even – think about changing it because it's working yeah i i think not starting zakai was just kind of a little bit of a charade you know anyway he's in the game at the 17 or 18 minute mark of the first half so you know, just throw him out there and i don't know if it was a coincidence or not but i thought tyreek looked more comfortable coming off the bench at lsu i mean he got up what 10 shots i think was which i want to say is as high for sec play and and they were you know it wasn't they weren't bad shots. I mean, it wasn't like he was, you know, turning down open teammates to, to jack something up. I mean, he just looked ready to, to get it up when the ball came his way. So that's one I'm, I'm with Grant. I wouldn't even think about changing it back. Well, Tennessee, the number four team in the country behind Purdue, Alabama, Houston, and right in front of Kansas State, will have Georgia and Texas on the docket this week. Both those games inside Thompson Bowling Arena. And the Texas uh, game for the SEC Big 12 Challenge, there will be a junior day for 2024s and 25s uh, as well on campus. So that's shaping up to be a pretty big eventful day on the hill over on campus for the University of Tennessee. That's going to do it for us here on this edition of the VolQuest podcast. Brent Hubbs, Rob Lewis, Grant Ramey, I am Eric Kane. We'll be back on Thursday for the Mailbag podcast. Get in all your questions and Whatever you guys want us to cover, that's coming up on Thursday. And as always, stay dialed in to VolQuest.com for everything Tennessee basketball, football, recruiting, transfer portal, anything you want on the Tennessee Volunteers, you can find it at VolQuest.com. Subscribe to VolQuest on the YouTube channel and like this video so more Tennessee fans can see it. Appreciate you guys, and we will talk again on Thursday. Until then, enjoy the rest of your Tuesday, everybody. You've been listening to the VolQuest podcast every week here on VolQuest. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.